I think it's just such an exciting time to really just start anything. Hey friend, it's David Abinsky here in Brooklyn, here at Portfolio Career Podcast. We help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. This episode is with Tina He. Tina is an investor at Pace Capital, a $150 million fund based here in New York. Uh, She previously worked at New Enterprises Associates, also known as NEA, and Facebook. I was really excited to talk to Tina uh, because I initially learned about her work uh, through Twitter and then came across her newsletter called Fake Pixels. Uh, She's also been very active in creating communities and organizations around side projects and personal development. Uh, So it just was really excited to talk to Tina. Um, In this episode, you'll learn more about how she started Fake Pixels, the newsletter, how it's led to new opportunities and growth, um, why she encourages people to start side projects and how now's a good time. And you also learn about emerging internet trends like Web3, um, which is related to blockchain and cryptocurrencies and, and more, and also the creator economy, which uh, might be really relevant to your side hustle or personal project if you have one. Um, as always, this episode with notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Tina. Cool. Uh, Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, we were uh, talking about memes being the new social media manager uh, role and creating memes and stuff like that. So we'll we'll see if memes will make it into this conversation. But uh, I did want to start off with uh, your newsletter, Fake Pixels, as, as just a way to um, kind of set the tone for the conversation. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the newsletter, why you started writing it in, I think, 2018. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, so Fake Pixels, as you mentioned, was started in 2018. So I actually started writing probably the beginning of 2018, even the end of 2017, when I gave myself a challenge that I was going to publish on Medium every single day. Um, and I actually did that for probably like 80 days or 90 days where I would write literally about anything um, on Medium. And I think writing has always been, you know, one way for me to organize my thoughts and ideas. Um, so when I, that was, that was even like when I was in college, I, st- I started doing that. Um, and I started to realize that I consumed so much media and I was telling my friends about all these products and all these companies that I see every single day. And one day, one of my friends was like, why don't you just like write it all down? And you can, you read so much, you consume so much media, like it would be cool to, you know, have a organized way to, to see what you're doing, because I just send them links and they say that like they get lost. So I think I've always subscribed to some newsletters and some of them really inspire me. Um, back in the day, like newsletter, only companies do them. Like there's very, very few individual newsletters, like newsletters writer by, um, especially professionals. And most of the professional insights kind of lie in books or podcasts. Um, so it wasn't really a common medium, but I was very inspired actually by this newsletter called Exponential View by Azim Azar. It's like one of the OG newsletters. Um, I thought he had a very balanced view. So it was really just to 
you know, now shout out to him for inspiring me to do that. But my first newsletter was kind of a, a outcome of wanting to share a lot of the news and media that I consume to my friends. Um, but that ended up getting a lot of traction um, from my friends and from people, strangers on the internet. And people started emailing me saying that like, you know, they found good stuff from my curation. Um, so I just started writing even more of my original thoughts, not just curation, um, and usually add a few sentences around the ideas that I found that are interesting. Um, and it turned into something a lot bigger. So I started meditate a lot on tech trends and culture and design. Like to be quite honest, a lot of people ask me why I started my newsletter. There really isn't that much of an objective and I don't have any OKRs be like, I'm going to hit X amount of subscribers by you know whatever day, which maybe I should be doing. But really for me, it's one way to you know, track my own growth. If I'm not learning what I'm writing, then I think that's a failure for me. So I feel like writing is really one way to, you know, solve this intellectual puzzle of things that are topics that are really complex and interesting to me. Uh, but, you know, writing kind of the, the side, side effect or the benefits of it is that it's very conducive to most of your career growth. Um, I know that your podcast talks a lot about career. Um, it's like if you can't convey your idea very succinctly and, you know, and writing is one way to do that, you can also do that with podcasts or other medium, but writing is one way to do it where you're not losing that much nuance um, because every single sentence or every single argument that you're making is potentially, you know, part of the methods you can deploy to organize your ideas. Um, so as you can see that like in the beginning, right, I publish very frequently. So every week I will have something new um, and with a little bit of a personal touch, which is a very genuine sort of like raw reflection of what technology is doing to us. And I don't want any filter where it's like, okay, so this is what I think people would want to see. It's more like, okay, now this VR thing become a, you know, people are hanging out in VR worlds or, you know, now like people are, you know, buying game assets that are and trading game assets in this, you know, weird marketplace. Like, what does that mean? Um, so a lot of these things I think are just extremely fascinating to me that I, don't, I think mainstream media is not really doing them justice. So fast forward, I think it, this kind of level of thinking and I guess wanting to always dive into these rabbit hole translate quite well into a job inventor. Um, so I was previously at a firm called NEA and it's a large venture firm that, you know, had a great history and, and some of the smartest people I know. Um, and while, while I was there, I think I quickly realized that there's a lot of weird emerging spaces that like a traditional venture firm is a little bit less comfortable of, you know, seeing it as a real investment um, versus I think that sort of topic, like, for example, I now spend a lot of time in Web3 and like, you know, the creator economy, that's how people call it. <laughs> but personally, I think creator can be even more broadly defined. And basically, like, you know, anything related to the redistribution of value um, and assets um, is, the, is the thing that I think about very, very frequently. And I think you need a new platform to kind of that focuses just on that to, to really do it well. Um, so fast forward, I actually met Jordan um, and Chris via writing um, and being online um, and quickly 
just realize that we have, you know, a lot of alignment in terms of value and what we like and what we care about in the world. Um, and I think the most important thing is that like, for I think all of us, um, it's like, we have this philosophy that we talk about a lot. It's like optimize for alignment, not outcome, which I think it's very, very like kind of obvious from the way I write is that I'm not optimizing for any outcome where I'm, you know, optimizing for subscriber growth, but really on the alignment of, you know, whether this is high quality thinking and whether this pushes the boundary of what we perceive to be the current reality and how can we really ask the questions to really push our understanding of what is possible and what is not possible and see these realities. Um, and like, I think those type of thinking um, require a lot of kind of positive some mindset to, to be able to really foster um, rather than like, just optimizing for existing rules of a existing game. And, and so the, the newsletter has led to, sounds like it led to a bunch of different conversations and opportunities and in kind of one way or another led to your current job. Is that kind of fair to say to some extent? I think so, which is kind of wild, right? Um, I just saw earlier today that someone posted a um, anonymous resume um, I think they, because we don't know the gender of the, the, the job applicant, they anonymized also all the previous banks and schools that they went to. They like abstracted away, even the school name is like a technical school. And, you know, they only wrote about the things they actually did, which I think is super fascinating. It's just like in the future, right, as brand names, I think slowly depreciates in value and actual skill sets become more important because brand name in many ways is just an abstraction of the inconvenience of like kind of looking at a large pool of applicants. It's just the easiest way for you to filter through, you know, who might be smart or, you know, who might be able to speak the same language as I do. So it's more seamless when we work together. Um, I think in, in sort of this new generation, we're already seeing this very frequently, right. In, in DeFi or in like, you know, decentralized world um, and, and, like now we see on Twitter and, you know, the example that I just gave with this, this person that has an anonymized resume is that, you know, what you do matters so much more than who you are and, and the brand associated with who you are, which I think is a really amazing thing to see and very inspiring. So the, the, the reason why I think, you know, what you're doing is very fascinating is that I, I am like a huge believer of making things and side projects because only by making and creating, I think you get to truly embody kind of what you believe in rather than just like outsource that to a certain brand that, you know, it's harder to do so, um, especially earlier in your career. Like, let's say you work on search at Google, like it's amazing, right? I think it's, I'm not saying that that's not difficult or not challenging or anything like that. I believe it's very, very interesting for the people who are, want to learn more about that. But because of how big the team is, like inevitably your job will be so specialized to this specific task that I think it's just harder to show the kind of breadth of your thinking and the breadth of your capability. So when you kind of leave the job, you become very, very good at maybe one thing or become really good at communication with your cross team members, which both are very, very important skills, but you're also kind of, you know, tr like have this trade-off with, you know, the, the sort of ceiling or like the, the capability that you can have taking on the entire project by yourself. 
um, which I think side projects are one, one step towards that. Um, it's kind of this embodiment of your, your capability. And the, uh, it's fascinating around this, the anonymous resume. Um, and with some of the other, you know, side projects and communities that you started around side projects, what was some of your thinking behind those? And was that just you wanting to learn or is that you thinking that's, you know, good for career growth or career development? Um, maybe speak to those a little bit. Totally. Um, I think again, like back to this idea of like optimize for alignment, not outcome. I think something that I truly value, I think is contribution. And I feel like that's something that is similar with Chris and Jordan as well is that um, I think in, in the little like short span of life we have, like a lot of friends in their kind of, you know, quarter life crisis talk about what is the meaning of life, right? Like we talk about this a lot, especially in a day and age where, you know, during COVID, a lot of people are having these philosophical kind of self-examination is that, oh, is my job at this like 250K per year job really fulfilling? Um, And to be honest, like the time that they're asking these questions, I feel like that resource in some way could be reallocated as their attention could be reallocated to doing something that's actually meaningful and contribute to the world. Um, But right now it's hard to do that because one, there's no clear path to how do you actually make an impact in the world? There's no clear guidance. Um, Two is that the idea of impact is actually a very socially kind of, um, is is a very like kind of a a construct of of the social environment where it's like impact is necessarily the outcome of what people think is impactful rather than like you being able to independently develop what that is. So you kind of like want to delay that decision-making later in your career by kind of finding out what you're good at. But I feel like that feedback loop, right, has been meaningfully shortened by the internet because in the past, like you go on the job, maybe like you work at McKinsey or like more like this general list role for many, many years. And then you kind of discover, oh, I'm actually really good at like quantitative analysis. And then I realized that environment is actually this big issue that I start to care a lot about. And then you can align them and maybe like down the line, you find this really good nexus between all those things that you care about. Like, I'm sure that you talk about career and this idea of Ikigai came came through before, you know, in, in Japan, in Japanese um, culture, where it's like the best job is like the nexus of your passion, like what you love and like what you're good at and what the world needs. Um, and in the past, like you kind of have to have experiences and work at generalist job to discover that. But sort of like what I'm arguing is that actually because of the internet, you can do that much earlier in your life so that your career runway is even longer, um, which I think is a very energizing thing to to realize. Um, yeah, that's a long-winded way to kind of go back to 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 your question. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. And is the, um, let's say if you were to take on a new uh, project or a friend says, you know, I want to start a new project, is there certain, you know, I guess you mentioned alignment, but is there any other types of either questions or things that you look for or suggest to your friend when they're thinking about things? Totally. I think the first thing I ask is like, what excites you right now? Like what keeps you up at night? And like, what is something that if you don't get paid, like what would you be doing? What would you be spending your time? Um, And I doubt that people will say that it's playing video games or like, 
I love playing video games, by the way. So I also like, this is part of my investment thesis. So I'm not saying that playing video games is a bad thing. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to say that like people are less likely to say something that they know would not be productive to their career growth, but they would actually say something that actually genuinely excite them. And basically I'll be asking them, why are you not doing that? Um, usually the, you know, the, the reasons can come down to, you know, not knowing how, fear, financial reasons, um, and all, all of the above, um, which I think are all super valid. Um, and I think it just takes time to, you know, slowly develop, you know, the comfort level of going beyond the traditional path and, you know, talking to people that have done like this thing. Um, and then when, when you find that person, you can like, at the moment you're like validated. You're like, okay, this is not weird. Like if someone is like a chief meme officer and then I see them, like that's how meme comes back to our conversation. And then maybe someone just loves making memes and never felt validated and felt disenfranchised for being a legitimate career. And now they see that they're like, okay, I wanna be like that. So like usually there's a few bold people that are doing this already. And the long tail people will see them and be like, okay, this is, that's a possibility. And that's a very empowering thing. Um, and I don't think that we can't do that right now. I think that the infrastructure that we have in our society can do a better job supporting that, like giving you better health insurance, giving you better benefits if you're a freelancer um, or even at a corporate, right? Like giving employees more kind of flexibility within the organization to work on projects that they care about. So whether it's entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship or being a freelancer, I think all the startups that you know we're seeing right now are building to support this trend to happen or this future to happen. It's just a matter of time that this will play out. Um, and um, I think in general, the information and the path is all there because of the internet and the information is all there. I think the discoverability and like the matching, like these are the problems that still a way to be fully solved. But I do think that we're on the right path. Right path. Good. And, and the, also this idea around like, so writing enables people to find you and attract like-minded people. Um, how have you been able to like continue to, you said like go down rabbit holes and push the envelope forward? Like, do you have a certain process of, you know, continuing to confront these difficult, you know, or emerging topics? Totally. Um, I think following different, so this is something that my friends do really well. I think I, I'm still working on it, um, but ideally I would be able to do that well too, is to continue to refresh your feed, <laughs> both on social media and on like kind of content consumption, just continuously consume things that you don't, you don't agree with and like kind of build your muscle of like, challenging yourself outside of your bubble and echo chamber um and sort of like in my career for example like as a necessity like i don't i can't spend that much time just following TechCrunch and like reading what you know everybody is reading and seeing these mainstream tech reports because very likely they're very very commoditized at this point and there's not real an investment there's this like alpha that represents like you know your edge um, 
of finding unique investment opportunities. So like your alpha in some way is someone else's pain. Like it's like you want to, it's a pretty optimistic view. Like someone can also argue that like you can't capitalize on people's pain. Um, but like kind of, I see this more so in through the lens of like solving a problem and like, you know, it's like how a designer design a solution to a problem and whether that redesign actually can improve the situation. Um, so usually I, I kind of think through, you know, any existing subject through the lens of three pillars, narrative, technology, and incentive. Um, and those three, I see them as forces. So like a force in physics, they have their, they have direction. So they're actually vectors and there's a magnitude to it. And, you know, for force to be exerted, there's also acceleration. So like understanding these variables that define these forces and the direction that they go, like they can force multiply or they can cancel each other out. Um, but understanding and seeing those forces very clearly, is very helpful to understand like a market or like, you know, a, a, a space that's really, really complex. Because if you distill down to a few simple things, right, it's actually like you can reduce them down to all those, like those three things. Um, if you look at like, for example, consumer FinTech, right? Like people, there's a narrative around like, oh, Gen Zs and millennials all hate old banks. And I was like, not wrong, but it's also like probably not the primary driver, right? Like I still use Bank of America and like Amex, like apps. It's not like that terrible. It's definitely not like cool, but it works. Like the actual underlying forces is the incentive change um, because enabled by technology. What that means is that um, technology has basically like the plaid of the world, alloy, and a lot of these API um, driven consumer kind of um, fintech solutions are enabling the lowering of barrier of creating a card, issuing a card, and doing KYC. And um, like all that processes have made the interchange model, business model, really attractive for consumer fintech founders. Um, and given Plaid, you also have better visibility into customer data. And you can basically confidently say that with a better data science team and also underwrite risk better. And, and all these technology forces are propelling the incentive of entrepreneurs to create these businesses because of the more attractive economics there. Um, but with that said, the, the, the incentive doesn't really align always with consumers. In some way, the consumers are like, I'm fine with this. Like, I don't really need a new card. Like, I guess like there's initial incentive for me to use this. And it's like better UX, sure. But like, it doesn't, it's not a real 10X improvement. So like the result of that is that we're seeing this crazy CAC war for all the neo banks that we're seeing, like the CAC only rise higher. And because of the interchange model, right? Like most of the consumer spend is actually sub thousands. So it's actually the unit economics is really hurting. And a part of that is because some of these incentive, like kind of the directions like canceling each other out. Um, and the most powerful thing, right, is when those three forces all align and force multiply into the same direction. And one trend that we're seeing these days that are really hot is like NFTs. And that's actually like one example of how these three forces are multiplying. Like the incentive is that it's a more elegant business model to for both collectors and creators and curators to have better like economic incentive share, rev share model where a platform is taking less of that incentive um, rather than in the past. Like it's mostly like galleries and brokers that are taking most of that economic incentive technology because web3 infrastructure like um that support these kind of 
more elegant kind of tokenized economics to work. Um, and from a narrative perspective, it's pretty cool. Like people are talking about it and there's like a huge momentum in the market, which might be a good thing for the trend, but maybe not a good thing for investment. So like all of the above are just data points and facts that I kind of see the world, see these trends through, but like, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily like actionable. But I think this is like a good way to understand where the opportunity lies. Um, for example, if the technology is there and the narrative is there, like everyone say that right now, it's like, we need to save the environment and we have the tech to do that. Then how do we provide better incentive and business model to actually help people do so, right? And that is business opportunity. Um, and like, similarly, if, you know, the technology is there and the incentive is also, you know, well-designed, but the narrative isn't there, then maybe it's a good investment opportunity because people are not talking about it yet, but there will be hype, you know, in the future, if you can do better branding and marketing to make this space cool again. Um, so yeah, I, that's a long winded answer to your question again, but no, 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 no. it's a perfect framework also that too, for like, for career growth and personal projects too, right? Totally. The technology is there for podcasting. Yep. Um, the narrative is around, Hey, it's a decent idea to mm-hmm. have great conversations with people. Uh, and the incentives are hopefully there of, mm-hmm. you know, like-minded people connecting and then totally. sharing information for other people to learn. Um, but you know, 20 years ago, podcasting, yep. incentives, technology and stuff weren't there. Same mm-hmm. thing with newsletters. Totally. hundred percent. Um, and, and, and the other thing that's interesting is like your newsletter changed from MailChimp to Substack too. So kind of taking advantage of new technologies, uh, in that way, and also pivoting a little bit or adjusting is another thing that I think sometimes can get, um, I know that some people with podcasting, it's like, am I going to do this thing for the rest of my life? (laughs) (laughs) Jury's still on, on me, but, um, you know, I know that sometimes with side projects and personal projects, people are like, am I going to do this forever? And what happens if I want to change? Yeah. Um, I feel like the, the good thing about internet is that both things are very enduring in a way that like, especially, you know, a, one of the promises of Web3 is that you can potentially like have perpetual ownership over the asset that you create by, you know, storing it on a blockchain. But that's going even a little too far. <laughs> Just internet in general, as long as we can assume that like AWS and all the servers are storing our data safely, it's going to be around for a while as long as Substack doesn't all of a sudden shut down. Um, so that's, I think, a good thing. And the bad, the, sorry, that's a that's like not necessarily, like that's a good thing where you have more ownership of, you know, your the content that you create. Um, but the other thing that I think is really great is that people just don't remember because there's so much. Like you can create something completely ridiculous. Sure, like I think you shouldn't say anything that's against your value or hurt other people, but the cost of failure is actually quite low. I, I don't think that anybody would be remembered forever as this like like really terrible person on the internet because everything just became more memeified as we talked about where like people just generally take things a lot less seriously, which you know you can use it as your advantage. Um, when you're creating side project to not burden yourself too much by making it perfect. Like I definitely suffer from it, especially in the beginning coming from a design background. I was like, everything has to look beautiful and perfect and really well-crafted. I still believe that, but 
it's definitely not a necessity. Um, like I can, like, I think I do this. Um, some of my friends do this, but most of the newsletter writers that I know are very low lift. They just like write whatever is on their mind. And it's actually quite good um, because they're smart people and they have interesting ideas. Um, it doesn't have to be well-produced all the time. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's like, you always get, it's like the good stuff gets rewarded. Totally. And the bad stuff you know, gets forgotten for better or for worse. Yeah. And like, if you're just writing for your learning, then like, there's really no downside. Like the worst, there's really no worse scenario. Like the, the, the best scenario is that five years from now, you look back on what you wrote and you're like, oh my God, that's so cute. Or like, oh, I was right. <laughs> and you can put that back and be like, hey, like I was this prophet where I saw the future coming. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it's like, the, there's really more upside than, than downside for sure. Love it. Cool. Uh, and, you know, you have a great post about this, this new decade uh, and the, the new year. And, um, you know, as people are kind of, things are starting to change a little bit. Um, any thoughts on kind of, you know, new career ideas or new professions or new ways to kind of take advantage of, somebody's, you know, professional journey these days and anything that's really kind of sparking your curiosity on that front? Totally. Um, I talk about this with a lot of my friends. Um, but I think like I kind of grew up or like maybe I developed my career kind of at the tail end of when your real name still matters. I've seen very successful cases where, you know, people can be a lot more creative when their real identity is abstracted away. Like, of course, like, you know, there's accountability, you know, that comes into using your pseudonymous name, right? In a, in a way that, like, if you say something terrible, like people can't catch you, but just from a strictly career perspective, um, I think that it's almost like if some, like there's a lot of my friends who are like, I, I really want to benefit from like, you know, having distribution like Twitter and all these like Discord and, and all these channels, but I don't want to do that because I, I'm scared. Like, what if I say something stupid or like, you know, I don't think I'm smart enough or like, I don't think I, like, I, I just don't like to be that persona of being really loud on Twitter. Um, which I completely empathize with. And I, I feel that way. That's why I regret not starting off my journey that way. But I think fake pixels is kind of obscure. And like, unless you're really curious about me, I think it, it's like still a little bit of friction of just like me publishing a newsletter under my name, right? Um, so I, I hope that in the future, like less people would know that who's behind all of this. Um, and that's kind of a trend that I think continue to play out quite well with people where they create a, like kind of conjure almost an identity that can be a representing, representation of themselves or can be a representation of part of who they are that just showcase their skills and ideas and insights without sort of like having the repercussion of kind of tying your identity or like your personal life to that kind of online persona. Um, which I think is probably healthier where you're not taking yourself so seriously. And then you're almost like playing this role of this thought leader within the given space. Um, and you can also be more provocative that way. And I've seen a lot of success in doing that. Um, and I think that these days people are much more open-minded to read a newsletter or like a writing by someone with a really silly name, right? It's actually a positive signal 
um, that this person doesn't take themselves seriously and they're creating legitimately good stuff. And it's very meritocratic because you don't know what this person, like where this person comes from or where they went to school. Um, so yeah, so like, I think moving forward, like even myself, like I think I would wanna over-index more on the quality of my work and the, the type of stuff that I do than like who I am or like which company I work at. Yeah, anonymous resume in a couple of years. Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, that's good. Well, cool. I definitely want people to check out your post about when you join uh, Pace. Uh, I think that was just an incredible post and just full of incredible insights and, and perspectives. And like, I think I, I think there was one part in there where it said like whenever you want to join, you can join. Uh, we've got a spot for you and stuff. And just like finding that kind of fit with team members and going back to your point earlier on alignment, um, it just was a beautiful post. So I would encourage sometimes careers and jobs can be hard, uh, but yeah. that post was beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I'm very grateful for both Chris and Jordan at Pace. Like they're two of the most thoughtful and just incredible humans. Um, they're great investors, but I think the former is very, very difficult to find, um, I think, in, in the modern world of business. <laughs> yeah. You create a newsletter and you find, you find more people, uh, more people totally. come. So um, is there anything else that you think that we missed, Tina, about maybe uh, starting a newsletter, developing a new creative uh, project, developing our own work, skills? Um, I know we touched on a bunch of things, but is there anything else you think that we missed? No, I had a bunch of fun talking about, you know, career. And I think it's just such an exciting time to really just start anything. Like there's all the, it's exactly what you said, like all the technologies out there, like you can like start a podcast relatively easily. Um, newsletter, super easy, takes five minutes <laughs> to start a newsletter and just put yourself out there. And if you don't feel comfortable, then use a pseudonymous name and people still would take you seriously if your work is good. So really just, I think like people can get super creative about this kind of stuff. Awesome. And uh, please let listeners know where they can follow up and learn more. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at fakepixels, F-K-P-X-L-S, um, or subscribe to my newsletter. Um, I will try to write more. <laughs> this is my one of my new resolution. Um, I guess new post-COVID resolution. Um, Although I, I also encourage everybody to enjoy the summer of post-COVID. Um, and that will bring a lot of inspiration just from a lot of in-person conversations. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Tina. Of course. Have a good one. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.